into the hands of every individual is given a power for good or evil. To be different, you must think, feel, and act differently. Focus on your purpose, transcend boundaries, impact the world. Alter from death to life. All right, good morning. Well, we have a kind of a, a funny rule in the house. That is when one person claps, everybody claps. So uh, I'm going to say a couple of things that are going to be really exciting to me and eight of you, but I want you to clap. Is that okay? You got that? Because you look so much better when you're happy. Okay. Well, let me, let me just give you a little recap. So Saturday we had uh, the egg drop, and last year we left, we, kids were left terrorized because, or traumatized because we didn't have enough eggs. And they were coming out crying, and, you know, we're not, we, we had 5,000 eggs from the helicopter drop last year. We said, we're not doing this again, so we dropped 25,000 eggs either from the helicopter or put them on the ground for the kids. So kids had more eggs than they know what to do with. I saw baby strollers just full of eggs, and this one lady said, oh, you know, I said, there's more eggs over there. I said, you know, her kids are not going to come off the sugar until June. You know, but it was just it was just really fun to see and and I personally had at least four families come up to me last night and say, I'm here tonight because of the egg drop, didn't even know the church was here. And so um I I don't know how you really count how many people were there. I'm gonna guess two or three thousand people were there for the egg drop, but it was uh, it was an awesome experience and we came back that night and, and oh by the way, let me just back up. So we had Mayor Harry Sadu, our mayor of Anaheim, he uh, dropped the eggs for us. He actually is a helicopter pilot, but he decided he wanted to be a politician and wave at us. Hey, these are great PR shots for the next election. But, um, but anyway, but just so thankful that we have such a great relationship with the city of Anaheim. And it, it has really been a part of who we are since the day we started. And I, and I just want to back up and tell you how some of this started. Some of it started with just relationships we built but then also one of the things that was, I think, one of the turning points was uh, on, the, on the light poles, there are uh, those, those emblems or, or those pictures of fallen soldiers. And because of the winds that we have up here, the Santa Ana's, those would get torn. And I called the city and I said, uh, hey, we've got some of these torn. And they said, yeah, we know, it, we just don't have the budget for it. I said, okay, so we as a church, every time one tears, we will pay for it. And uh, we really prayed for the winds to die down. Because they were like $450 a piece, you know, and, and so we just, Jesus, just let that one endure. But, 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 but I think what it does is it says we need to give to the city first instead of expect them to give to us. We need to give to humanity first instead of them expect, expecting them to give to us first. You see, you're never more like Jesus when you're servant of, unless when you're servant of all because he came to be servant of all. If you want to be like Jesus, you'd be a servant. Not a master, you'd be a servant. And, uh, and I just appreciate all the people that served and gave themselves so much to that time of, of at the egg. And then last night we had the Voices of Hope here, and, uh, and you may remember them from America's Got Talent. They got the golden buzzer and, uh, and were here with us, and 75 voices sang. 
And then we also, uh, Michael Ketter, it was kind of neat. We had two golden buzzers on the uh, winners uh, on the stage at one time. And uh, I know Michael, he even said to me today, he said, you know, that was healing. It was actually healing for me to be with them today and or last night. And, you know, just to see how God works in unusual ways to pull things together. Uh, and I just, I just give him glory for that. And then just another thing, we've had a great relationship with the Nixon Library over the years, and I've spoke there probably a half a dozen times. And I'll be speaking there uh, with the governor on Monday at 11 o'clock if you want to drop over. Uh, and, and go to that. I uh, would love to have you come. It's the 25th anniversary of Richard Nixon's passing, and we went through the new library, uh, and if you haven't been through that historical part of it in the last couple of years, it's absolutely amazing. I, I absolutely was blown away. And the reason I say these things, because part of what we learn about our future is what we remember from our past. And we have those markers in our life of what society was like and, and different things. And, and the same thing is true of you. If you don't remember where you came from, you're not going to get to where God wants you to be. And if you, don't, if you don't realize that change is a part of our life, it's something we have to do. And we talk about shifting. That's what this series is, a shift. There's some things we need to shift in our life. And we're going we're gonna to talk about those three main things today. But I want to begin with a story. The uh, story goes back, it reaches back really for us today to 1927. A man by the name of William Bell was dispatched by the British government to the Solomon Island chain to one little island called Melita. And on Melita, he was going to, to survey that island and other islands for the British government. And he came into a village there and didn't know the hostility of the village. And he and his other 13 co-workers were massacred that day. And so an already angry tribe now would experience greater anger when Great Britain would respond and retaliate by sending in ships and, and basically just shelling that whole area of the island and killing nearly 200 people in the process. So every time from between 1927 up until 1990, anybody that went into that little island uh, were killed or had near-death death experiences, literally. And so it became one of those places where even missionaries said, you know what, uh, maybe not, uh, because other missionaries were, were being killed. Humanitarian workers were being killed. Everyone was going in there was being killed. And then finally, two workers from Every, uh, every Home for Christ, uh, two young guys, one I think was 19, one was 21, they said, if Jesus has called us to every part of the world, then how do we neglect that part of the world? And sometimes we forget the cost uh, of, that we have to pay to take the gospel. It might be for you, it, it may seem not as, as radical as what I'm getting ready to tell you, but, it's as ra- but it is radical to you because you have to somehow figure out how you're going to open your mouth at your place of work and tell people about Jesus. It's going to be in school when you don't want to be labeled as uncool by being a follower of Jesus, but you have to pay that price. Because that, that's what you said you would do, and you, you said, I love Jesus. You said, I'll pay that price, Jesus. And so these workers, they made their way into this little uh, uh, area of the village, and it was a t- really a very, very difficult path because they had to cross rivers, and some of the rivers were filled with crocodiles, and as they made their way in there and then the, up into the jagged cliffs, and, and it really was, it was almost life-threatening before they even got to the village. Before they made it to the village, they were, they were approached by several warriors who basically arrested them, and then uh, they could overhear them and knew the language. They overheard them saying, uh, they were trying to decide how they were going to kill them. 
Not if they were going to kill him, just how do you want to do it? Which, you know, is a bit discomforting. That's funny. Um, yeah, I'll give you a little warnings like when things are funny, okay? And when you need to clap, I'll go ahead and tell you that. But, but anyway, and so they decided to take him back to the camp and, uh, and let everybody decide how they're going to kill him. And on the way, they said, we want to speak to your chief. They said, you can't speak to our chief. He's very old. He's very sick. He's on his deathbed. At this point, they're thinking to themselves, we need something to get us out of this mess. And they said, well, our Jesus can raise him up from the dead. He can heal him. And they hadn't seen him yet. And so when they walked in the village, he was already in partial grave. They actually had dug the grave about six inches down, and he was laying in that grave as his bed, his death bed, and then they would finish digging it when he died. You know, have you ever noticed how much, your, how much faith you have until you face an obstacle? You are going straight to heaven with glory and crowns. I love you. All right, I love you already. Some of the rest of you, you're still on, on warnings. All right. All right. So uh, they went in there, and they saw the chief, and they allowed him to speak to the chief, and they, they just in the name of Jesus said, be healed in Jesus' name, and, and the chief that wasn't talking, wasn't moving, basically, he set up and he said this. He said, I've been waiting my whole life to hear this message. There are people in your life that have been waiting their whole life to hear this message. There are people that want to hear about the resurrected Lord, but they haven't got someone to speak to them yet about it. And that's your job. And the, and the chief listened intently as, as he, they gave this plan of salvation. And the chief received Christ that very day. And so the warriors decided at the chief's command that they, it would, they would be okay to let them go back. And so uh, they released them, and they were heading back. And two hours later, the chief died. Some of your miracles happen that way, by the way. Your dream is resurrected only to die. But remember, Jesus said, unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it it abides alone. But if it dies, it gives birth. It brings forth life. So the chief died, and the warriors went back after the men. They brought him back, and now they were indeed going to kill them. And they had pretty well figured out how they were going to kill them. And later that night, the chief woke up, set up, and began to speak to them about his experience. He said he had died. He had gone to a place. He didn't know the name heaven, had never heard the name heaven. But he said, I went to a place, and there were white, transparent beings there, and they spoke to me. And then God spoke to me and said, I'm going to send you back. You need to tell the story to your village. And then he gave him a glimpse of hell while he was there as well. And as a, as a chief began to speak, he gave this invitation for people in his village to receive Christ as he had received Christ. And the entire village came to faith in Jesus Christ that day. And this is a good time to clap. So powerful was the transformation of that chief in that village that 10 adjacent villages also completely came to faith in Jesus Christ. And later, later that week, that chief laid back down and died. That chief was raised from the dead, but he wasn't resurrected. The chief would die again, but he would experience resurrection. Because being raised from the dead is not resurrection. It's being revived to live again, only to die. 
You see, the great truth is that our Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ is not risen from the dead, Paul said in Corinthians that we are all people to be most pitied because our faith is something that's not legitimate. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have all the words of Christ that said he would rise from the dead become meaningless. We are people then without hope because we don't have the hope of the resurrection. For the people in that, in that village on that island of Melita, they had to change some things. They had to change their mindset. They had to change their belief, and in turn, they would change their destination. I want to talk to you about having a mindset, a belief, and a destination transformation today. As you think about life and think about what's important, how do you think about life? How do you look at life? How do you look at the Word of God? How do you look at people? And sometimes our mindset is so stuck that we can't even see that it's stuck. Sometimes we're practical atheists. We say we believe in God, but we live as though there is no God. I love reading atheists. I love reading people like Richard Dawkins, who a professed atheist makes statements that make me wonder why he isn't a better atheist. Let me read one of those to you. This is from the God Delusion. He said, God almost certainly does not exist. That's not a good atheist. Do you hear me? That's like a Christian saying, Jesus almost certainly was risen from the dead. No, either God, you either believe in God or you don't believe in God. But to be a little bit confused is, I don't know, funny. Here's what else he said. God, though not technically disprovable, is very, very improbable indeed. Why do people go there? Why is it that atheists have so much trouble locking down their atheism? Why do they want to go on Christian sites and tell you there is no God? Because in every one of us, God has created a spirit that can only be fully filled by the Holy Spirit. And when you try to fill it with anything else or you deny that you have a spirit, then you find yourself fighting a battle that you cannot win. Most of them just flip into the world of agnosticism because it becomes much easier just to say, well, if there is a God, I can't know him. You know what that's like? That's like marking three on a scale of five. I don't know whether I'm a one or a five, so I'm going to take three. I'm not going to make a commitment, really, in my life. The New York Times ran an article a few years ago, and Peter Seinfeld said this. He said, shortly after Jesus was executed, his followers were certainly galvanized from a baffled and cowering group into people whose message about the living Jesus and a coming kingdom preached at the risk of their lives. Eventually, they changed an empire. Something happened, but exactly what? What takes some common disciples like the 12 that follow Jesus? What is it has to happen in their life to where at the risk of their very life, they would proclaim that Jesus was, was crucified, buried, and risen from the dead? What would be so transformational that they would give their very life for that message? What would be so powerful in their life that the entire nation would make the comment by the time you get to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts that they had turned the whole world upside down? It was the power of the resurrection. It was Jesus living his life in them and through them in such a way it could not be denied. 
I love this word from Lord Darling, the former Chief Justice of England. It would be the equivalent of our Supreme Court Justice. He said this, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. Now, that was not written by someone who didn't have knowledge in how you prove things to be true or false. It was written by someone well-educated who spent his life finding truth and understanding the truth claims and where they come in. Let me just take you to the Word of God, though, and tell you about what Jesus said about himself. Listen to what he said in John 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer. It wasn't optional. He was clear on his mission. He was clear on what God had sent him to do. He had come to give his life as a ransom for us. He said he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised up on the third day. Have you ever noticed when someone says something like that, because the disciples didn't really remember that. They didn't hear that. You know, he had spoken these words, but they weren't, it wasn't kind of coming into them. It's kind of like preaching. You know, I know when you get a glazed look in your eye and you're not listening. But I know you're going to catch back up. We're going to bring you back into, into the world of, of preaching in just a moment. So I'm, I'm patient. I remember when I was uh, in college, we had, we'd go out and we'd preach on these weekends. And then we'd just go to different churches. And there was all different aspects. There were singers and worship leaders and everything else. And so we went to this one church, and the, and the pastor said to me, he said, now, I, I want to prepare you. There's a man in the church, and the minute you start to preach, he's going to go to sleep. He said, don't take it personally, does it to me, does it for years. Well, you know, I was just kind of young and Andre. You know what I mean? I was just kind of young, and it's not going to happen. This guy's going to stay awake. And the pulpit they had, it was made out of all plywood. It was like a box. It was more like a drum, really, because when you hit it, and he warned me, he said, now, don't hit that because it makes a big echo through the whole place. I thought, that is my tool, <laughs> Right? This guy is not sleeping on my watch. And so I got up and got up to preach, and sure enough, his head just dropped like it was automatic. And so I, I, I just started to preach it, and every time I saw that head go down, I'd hit that pulpit, and I mean, it would resonate through that. I must have hit it 30 times just to try to keep that guy awake. Well, you know, sometimes when we, Jesus would speak these words, and they didn't, they weren't really listening. They were caught up in the miracles. They were caught up in their life. They were caught up in what was happening in their world. Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, listen to what it says. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles, to mock, scourge him, crucify him, and on the third day he will rise again. Repeatedly he gave this message. Repeatedly he gave this message. You know what I find out? We have messages that have been repeatedly spoken into us that we don't remember. But I want to give you some good news. The Holy Spirit of God, in right moments, will bring that to your remembrance to your memory, it's what he promised, when the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will bring to your memory that which I have spoken to you. You see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you always want to walk and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to welcome him into your life. You want to, you want to just ask for the filling in your life that you might be under his influence as you live out your life. Well, we have to have a change in mindset, but we have to have a change in belief. You see, a lot of Christians say, I believe God, but they don't behave what they say they believe. Or they say, I believe God, I really do believe that, but, and they always put a condition on some things. Usually the conditions are the things that apply to them. Amen? 
Hey, let's just be honest, right? I mean, we put the verses on our refrigerator that are uplifting and encouraging. We don't put the ones about the judgment seat of Christ on our, right? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's something like, yeah, I'm not leaving that one. Or, I don't, I don't. or you know, when you pray, like, I'm just going to pray, but I'm not going to say, God, anything you want to do in my life is okay. I ain't praying that prayer. I got news for you. When he's Lord, he can anyway. Am I wrong? No, he can do that. He's God. That's, that's kind of one of the things when that's on your resume, it's one of the things you get to do, what you want. Belief. Let me take you to Thomas Arnold, Oxford University. I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times, to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them, and I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better or fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Now remember, this is a historian at Oxford, a smart guy, who spends his life proving things in history, examining history. And this is his testimony. I know of nothing, nothing in all the history I've studied that is more provable than the great sign that God gave us that Christ rose from the dead. Let me take you to Mark chapter 16, verse 3. Who will roll away the stone? Now, these are the ladies. They come to the, they come to the tomb early on, uh, on Sunday morning. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus because there hadn't been time to get all of this done before they put him in the tomb. They believed that he had died. They're going to the tomb for a reason. And when they get to the tomb, look what happens. They ask themselves, who will roll away the stone from the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. For it was very large. And by the way, John's account of it uses a word in the Greek. It was picked up and moved to another location. Not that it simply rolled, because it would be rolling uphill. They put him to roll downhill. So you think, got to think a four to 6,000 pound doorway was picked up and moved into a new location. At, and, at, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man that is an angel clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. Is that not one of the great understatements of Scripture? I don't know about you, but the, the idea of getting up early in the morning and going to a cemetery, that one scares me already. Now I'm going to get there, and there's a guy sitting there who's kind of transparent, right? And you know something's going on here, and he goes, hey, don't be alarmed. That's all I am is alarmed. This is why, this is why the women went to the tomb, because the men were afraid. Right, ladies? We all know, we all know when there's trouble, men send the wives to find out what that noise is. If it's bad, I'll come help you out, baby. But just, just hang in there for a little while. Just give me the signal and I'll be there. And they were alarmed. And the angel said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. I got news for you. Jesus was crucified, but it didn't stop there. He's not on the cross. He was put in the tomb. And according to scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, he was risen from the dead according to the scriptures. Let me take you a little bit further. Luke chapter 24. Why do you seek the living among the dead? We don't have a dead God. We have a living God. Amen? We have a God who ever seeds and makes, makes, makes our life simple because of the blood of the Lamb. He cleanses us from sin. He takes away the accusation of the enemy. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in the Galilee? Do you remember? He's, he, do you remember? He's saying, do you remember? 
There are some things that were spoken to you in your childhood, in your young years. God is going to bring them back to you. He's going to bring them back to you, and he's going to allow you to walk in the fullness and the power that God intended all along. These are part of the promises you see in Proverbs when it says, raise up a child, and when he is old, he'll, he'll return. He'll not depart from those ways. What happens? There's like something that happens. When you put stuff in, it stays. That's why you don't want to put the wrong stuff in you. You follow me? He said, don't seek the dead among the living. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you that when he was still in the Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. You know, when I think about belief, I think about belief in four different kind of areas. And one is people say, I don't believe. I don't believe it's possible. I don't believe it's possible for Jesus to rise from the dead. I don't believe it's the Bible, it's possible for there to be a perfect book out there for revelation of God. I don't believe, I don't believe. And what they're really saying is I won't believe. Then there's another one. It may be possible for others, but not for me. I have people all the time say, well, you know, that's great for you, Pastor, but I just don't buy into that stuff. And so what they do is they create a religion by their own design. They really become kind of a god and, a, and the crafter of a religion. And they'll take elements from this and elements from that, and they'll put it all together, and they'll feel good about themselves. The only problem is it doesn't even stand the test that they refuse to examine when it comes to Christianity. Then there's a third group, and I think that's it may be possible for me. And this is when people begin to open the door and say, you know what, I think that this is possible, but I don't know if I can believe that. I remember sitting at a coffee shop with a guy when we first started this church, and he said, you know, I just... I want to believe, but I don't know, I, don't, I can't. And I said, is it you can't or you won't? No, I want to. It's not that I don't want to. I just can't get my faith there. And I said, what happens is you, you create a pattern in your mind and in your life when you say I can't or I won't believe God. But I want, you to, I want to just challenge you right now to step out of that and just speak these words. I can believe. I can be saved. And that day, that guy gave his heart to Jesus Christ. This is a good time to clap. And he became a member of our finance committee when we first started this church. He went from darkness to light, from lost to saved, transformed by the power of God. You see, that's what God does in our life, amen? That's what he wants to do. Let's talk about a change in destination. For some of you, your destination is heaven, and you know that. But let me ask you, when you get there, have you prepared for that destination as a believer? You see, the Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Do you think that's just for you to spend in heaven? Did you ever think that maybe the resources that you lay up for yourself in heaven are somehow to enable you to do the tasks that God has created for you for all eternity? It's not about you. It's about him. Why do you think those 12 and 24 elders, they cake their, their crowns from their head and they throw them at the feet of Jesus and they say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's not about them, it's about him. And so God wants us to remember, if, we're, if that's our destination and we know we're going to heaven, are you prepared when you get there? Have you laid up treasures on heaven? Because the Bible says that one day we will give an account for the deeds done in the body. But then also there's those who say, I'm not sure about my destination. I'd like to think so. 
I'd like to hope that I'm going to heaven. And, you know, a hope-so kind of faith never works. You've got to have a no-so kind of faith. Viktor Frankl said this, and this was based on a study of, of studying people who had gone through uh, Auschwitz, through the concentration camps of World War II. Here's what he said. A man who cannot see the end ceases to live for the future and therefore exists altogether without hope. Do you realize that if you have no hope in life beyond this life, you cease to really have hope altogether? Because what is life all about? If you live 60, 70, 80, or 100 years old, and let's say you live all those days with great health, what happens then? All you have to do is to leave an inheritance. All you have to look forward to is nothing, if that's your mindset. But what if you have faith in Christ? What if you have belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What if you allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you in such a way and you say, you don't say, I can't or I won't or for somebody else, but I'll say, it's for me. I receive Jesus Christ. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hope is implanted in your spirit. And that's amazing, amazing. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, do you desire to follow Jesus? If you desire to follow Jesus, look what it says, let him deny himself. In other words, you can't follow Jesus and follow you at the same time. You have to deny, you see, after you deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he asks this prevailing question, what will it profit, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give and say, look, you can have anything you want in life, but I need your eternal soul? You'd be a fool, a fool to give up your soul. And yet people do it all day long. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Just let that sink in. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, one day I'm looking forward to meeting that chief I told that story about. I want to hear it from your lips because I'm sure I got a couple of things wrong. I want to hear it from you. Tell me about the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the advocate with the Father. You know what that means? Every accusation the devil brings against you, he advocates for you. He is your mediator. He is your go-between. He is your daysman. He is all of those things. He is the Almighty the Bible says. He is the faithful witness, never unfaithful. He is God. Jesus is God. He is Lord of all. The Bible says he is the Lord of glory. The Bible says he is the Lord God Almighty. Can you give him praise? Put your hands together and give him praise. He is the mediator. He is the mediator of a new covenant. He is the Savior. He is the son of righteousness. The Bible says he is the true God, the word of God, the word of life. He is the bread of life. He is the bright and morning star. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Stand to your feet and give him glory today. Put your hands together for King Jesus because he is Emmanuel. He is the everlasting. He is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the bread of life. Do you feed on him? 
Have you eaten some of his bread lately? He's ready to feed you. Are you hungry? When you're hungry, you reach out and get a loaf of bread. He says, I'm here. Would you feed on me? He said, I am the Messiah. I am the author and the finisher of your faith. He said, I am the Almighty. I am the Son of God. I am the Redeemer. I am the Lamb of God, the Great Physician, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Would you say it with me? He is the King of Kings. Together means together. Let me try it again. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Give him glory. Give him praise this day. Let's sing and give God glory right now. Yeah. 